0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the
1: web at mercyhill.cc. If you haven't been with us much this summer, you might not have noticed that we're in a series that we're calling Questions God Asks. And questions that God asks are not just like rhetorical questions. I mean, you could imagine that it's kind of silly for God to ask a question when he already knows the answer already but God's questions are actually invitations into relationship with him God comes into relationship asking questions and actually valuing our response because he's not about true false right wrong check off the boxes he's wanting us to come to him with our whole heart soul and mind and strength and so his questions become a real invitation to draw closer to the Lord and get to know him more. And we've looked at questions that God asked Adam and Eve, that he asked Cain, that he asked Sarah, that he asked Elijah, that he asked Ezekiel. This morning, we're going to be looking at one from the book of Jonah. And I've got Tony Burrell here helping us this morning. Say hi, Tony. Oh, I thought you were going to say hi, Tony. Uh, but And we're going to be having a conversation together around the question that God asked Jonah, which is this. Should I not be concerned? And we're going to unpack where that comes from. And if you don't know who Tony is, Tony is great. Tony's part of the church here, and he's spent quite a number of years serving as a missionary in Eastern Europe. And he and his wife, Jenny, I didn't see Jenny uh, this morning. Uh, Jenny's working today. He and his wife, Jenny, are raising their kids, living here in Munster now. And he, Tony also has started and continues to direct a Christian charity right here in Lake County. That's called the Welcome Network, and they're helping with resettlement for refugees and assisting immigrants with all the issues that come when you're immigrating to the USA. So, Tony, welcome. Would you help me welcome Tony? So why don't we start by praying together? Would you be willing to lead us?
0: Lord God, thank you.
1: I'm glad God hears us, even if the microphone isn't on. Right, but so everyone else can say Amen. We'll turn the microphone on. Amen. Lord,
0: thank you for um, Lord, thank you for this morning and for this opportunity to to discuss this question uh, that God asked Jonah. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, this congregation and the heart that they have that that so many have here to um, be welcoming. Uh, bringing their their neighbors in, and uh, we pray that you will continue to uh, challenge us today as we uh, think through the implications of of the book of Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: So we're looking at the book of Jonah this morning, and and Tony, what, what did Jenny, your wife, think was ironic about the book of Jonah this week?
0: Yeah, um... Well, first, she's not here, and so I had to check my own collar and make sure nothing was hanging out my nose before I I got up here, because that's usually, she would remind me to do that. But um, when I told her that we were speaking about Jonah, uh, she said uh, she saw on Facebook it was Shark Week on Discovery Channel, and so it was ironic that this is the last day of Shark Week, and we're talking about a guy who's getting eaten by a big fish. So,
1: Right? I mean, for those of you who've ever heard of the book of Jonah, what do you think of first... When we talk about Jonah, what do you think of? Yeah, it's this big fish thing and this guy's getting swallowed by the fish, right? Uh, okay, how many thought of veggie tales? Just tell you, you can admit that. Okay. You know, but Tony, is that what the book's really about? No. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not really. There, there's so much more going on in the book of Jonah than the bit about the fish. That's why we, we said here, oh, next slide. Thanks, Deb. Um, is it's not really about the fish. And, and instead, what's going on here, it, kind of a quick summary of the book of Jonah goes like this. God calls Jonah and he sends him to a city a long way away, a great big city called Nineveh, where the people there are the enemies of Jonah and his people back in Israel. And Jonah and he is called by God, go to Nineveh and preach repentance, really, to the Ninevites. Does Jonah want to go? Jonah does not want to go. And the reason the Bible says that Jonah didn't want to go is that he thinks, if I go and I preach repentance there, they're going to repent and God's going to have mercy on them. And I don't want God to have mercy on my enemies. So I don't want to go. So he heads the other direction and God sends the fish Uh, to, shall we say, get his attention, to really get a hold of Jonah and get him back on track to do what God had called him to do. So that's why the fish is in the story. It's there to get Jonah back on track to do what God had called him to do. And sure enough, Jonah does go, and when he preaches to the Ninevites, they do all repent, and God does have mercy on all of them. And Jonah, the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, was greatly displeased And became angry. He didn't want God to have mercy on them. And so we're dealing with a contrast, really a conflict here in this book. Between what Jonah wants and what Jonah cares about. And what God wants and what God cares about. And the book concludes with a a key question. And it's the question God asks for us this morning as well. It's in Jonah chapter 4 verse 11. Have you ever tried to find Jonah in your Bible? You know, the best way to find it, if you don't have a phone where you can just search, is to go to the table of contents. And and if you don't have that going for you, then your next best idea is to stick a, a bookmark or something in so you can find it. Or you can look on page 820, which is where it is in my Bible. And and Jonah chapter four, verse 11 says, um, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Here it is. Here's the question. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I think this question is a bit different than the other ones we've looked at in the series because every other time we've gotten to see how the person God's asking responds to the question. But if you're looking at this in your Bible instead of on the screen, that's the end of the book. That's the end of the the story that we get to know about with Jonah. It's God finishing with the question and dropping the mic and walking off the stage. There it is. That's God's mic drop. Should I not be concerned about this great city? And by leaving that question there, I think he's making it plain that he's not just asking Jonah. He's still asking that question for you and me. And so really, I mean, that's what we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to get a bit of a running start into this before Tony and I really dive in with each other on it. And, And to do that, let's get the context by looking at all of chapter four so we can see the conversation God was having with the prophet before dropping the mic here at the end. And we already know Jonah is angry, right? We said Jonah became greatly displeased, and was angry. And that's verse one. So let's read this. And Tony, maybe you'd be willing to like read God's lines uh, when we hit this. And I'll do uh, the narrator and the prophet. Um, so Jonah chapter four, verse one says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Do you ever get angry when you don't get what you want? He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That was why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live.
0: And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry?
1: So Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah yeah, Jonah was very happy about the vine. But the, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind to, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it'd be better for me to die than live.
0: But God said to Jonah, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant?
1: If I'm Jonah. I'm thinking, God, you keep answering my complaints with these questions. <laughs> and he, he said, and so Jonah answers the Lord, verse nine, I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said,
0: you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle?
1: The translation I have says, you've been concerned about the vine, shouldn't add I'm concerned about the city. You know, um, that's the context. Tony, what do you see as the main contrast in the dynamic here?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, when we look at how the book ends, we see that the fish, the whole that whole thing is just a side. He's a minor actor in all of this.
1: But he did what God wanted. I mean, the fish did. Right. I mean, give the fish some credit. The fish, unlike the prophet, did what God told him to do. Sure. Yeah.
0: Then, Actually, everyone in this book almost seems to be responding to God, except for Jonah.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, right?
0: Luke and I were writing Monday or Tuesday, or one morning this week, and he said he remembers an old children's story, and it ha- it's from the worm's perspective. And and from the worm's perspective, like, not knowing exactly why God, what his purpose was, and he fulfills God's purpose, too, in eating the vine. So, um, you know, it, it's just, it's it's obvious that the point is God's concern and Jonah's concern in this book. And you know, it's it's Jonah's concerns, his heart, his will, his actions versus God's. And we see with both the decision to run away um, and with the this interaction about the vine, we see that Jonah's main concern is himself, his comfort. Um and we'll unpack the word comfort, I think. We'll talk about that a little be bit. Um but then God is concerned with compassion for His creation, um, and I was I was just looking a little bit at this book and and what some others have said about it. There's a the teaching pastor at Moody Church. Um, he wrote about this uh, this interaction, and he says we have to notice the contract be, contrast between the compassionate God and the angry pouting prophet. Um, in this scene, the reader catches a glimpse of the universal human tendency To be self-centered and focused on self-preservation And the writer, he even uses the word tribal Uh And then the human propensity for tribalism is contrasted with the gracious and compassionate heart of God And so we have Jonah's concern for him, his, his comfort or himself And then God's concern, obviously, for Nineveh
1: Wow Are you guys hearing that too? Do you see that in what we've seen so far, and Tony, it may be helpful if you just unpack what do you mean by tribalism and where do you see Jonah exhibiting that here?
0: Um, well, you know obviously you mentioned that their enemy that Nineveh was an enemy of of Israel, and you have to wonder why was Jonah so reluctant to to head in there and to do any of this and even fleeing i mean he he went the opposite direction and so uh, you know, I think we probably will get into that a little bit more, but uh, we just have to wonder, besides this vine thing, there had mm-hmm. to be more going on in Jonah's heart. And uh, probably on a deeper level, there were these other issues
1: happening. Gotcha. So we have Jonah, right, camped out, sitting in his shady spot, waiting stubbornly for God to come around to Jonah's point of view. And meanwhile, we have God calling and inviting Jonah to come into God's compassion to start sharing God's heart. For me, that's a really powerful contrast and and a very uncomfortable one. Um, I don't know. Think about yourself. Do you ever find yourself stubbornly wanting God to come around to your point of view? For me, that's often the, at the root of some of my power struggles with God. When things aren't going the way I want, and I'm trying to insist that God do things my way. I'm sitting in my spot trying to keep myself comfortable and I'm upset because God hasn't yet seen that I'm right. And instead he's expecting and wanting me to change and embrace his heart instead. And Jonah displays an almost impressive degree of stubbornness in his interaction with the Lord. And I I noticed that the Bible describes in, up in verse two. I would just, I would
0: just say no more than I do with God or you do or Probably everyone here, you know, I would just say he's normal.
1: Yeah. And if you think that having a relationship with God is always smooth and seamless and that there's never any struggle or even complaint or argument in your relationship with God, you have a bit of a sanitized fantasy about a relationship with God that doesn't line up with the way the Bible describes these I note in verse two that the Bible says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And it's this messy, raw, you know, almost vomit of his own anger and upset. Say, God, I knew you were like that. And you were going to do the exact thing I didn't want you to do if I did what you told me to do. And I'm just so mad. Just kill me now. You know, and the Bible says he's praying. It's a very different kind of prayer than chapter two when he's praying from the belly of the fish. And I think it shows how quickly we can shift from being so thankful for God having mercy on me, chapter two in the book of Jonah, to being so upset when God has mercy on somebody else that I don't want him to instead of me. But um, so let's talk some more, Tony, about the, the tension that there is between my concern for my comfort and God's invitation to share his compassion. Because, I mean, we're seeing an invitation here. Jonah is impressively stubborn. But God is amazingly patient and gracious. And the same God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, that Jonah complains about in verse 2, it's God's very slowness to anger and compassion that's making it possible for Jonah to talk to him that way without getting turned into a crispy critter or something in the bargain. And, And so that patience of God is on display even and it's magnified by the stubbornness of Jonah. And but dig into this invitation and talk a little bit to us about what the comfort really means and why do we find it threatening to embrace God's compassion for others?
0: Sure. Um I think comfort's kind of in two levels and but there are things that just get in the way in life and I think that's part of part of what what comfort is all about. So when the air conditioner breaks or when I mean, I, a few years ago in the house, there was a mouse, and I caught the mouse, but then there was another mouse, and, and then you know that the mouse is getting in somehow, so you have to deal with, how's the mouse getting in? And then you have to get rid of the mouse, and then you have to clean up after the mouse. And these types of things are just normal, perturbing things in life. And uh, and I, I I think sometimes our need for comfort, our need to deal with the normal stuff in life, it just distracts us from uh, from God and from others, and so all sorts of things can do that. Our just concern over our health or our bodies or the upkeep of a home or our jobs—those things, I would say, distract us from um, from being concerned for others or from hearing God's heart in all of this. But I think there's a second level where uh, where comfort comes in, and that's maybe the word privileges would. Uh, would be one word we could use, or entitlement, or I. when I'm talking to my wife and I'm not doing well and I need to get a point across, I just talk about my needs. But my needs are basically the same as where I feel I'm entitled to things or where I feel privileged to have things in life. Um, and And I think that those are things that we sometimes think we deserve, but others, for whatever reason, don't deserve them. Or if... If we feel like something is ours, if, if I feel like something is mine and I want to protect it, and those could be some of the things from the first category too, our health, our jobs, our homes, our nation, then we feel like it's ours and we have this, uh, protective thing going on. And so it's not just, it's not just that first layer of comfort where we're just distracted and too busy, but Mm -hmm. it's that second layer where we're actually divided from the other people or the, or the others out there um
1: kind of us and them
0: us versus them and that can happen that can happen in a small way or a bit. I mean it can it happens in in marriage all the time where i have a need maybe my wife has a need and those kind of conflict with each other sometimes and we're kind of rather than being open to each other about it there's this defensiveness and the feeling like well if my need doesn't get met then i'm Left out of this and, and all of that. So, mm-hmm. uh, so in one case, comfort is just distracting, but in another case, I think it's dividing. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's challenging. Um, I, I'm struck by the way God says to Jonah specifically about the vine that you didn't tend it or make it grow. And and some of the privileges that I'm trying to protect aren't the things that I actually earned and worked for. They're just the benefits I get from getting to live where I get to live.
0: Yeah, uh, on our trip to Lebanon, we met this family, a mom, a dad, a baby boy, three months old, four kids, four girls, and then a baby boy. Um, The baby boy is born with a cleft palate, so... Uh, so they have to spend about 150 dollars a month just on formula, uh, because the the boy wasn't nursing properly, and so he's way behind. And that's like more than their but they're they're Syrian refugees, and so that's more than their budget for the month. Um, they have all sorts of other challenges going on in their life. But my main, when when I met with them and the two older girls, just being my daughter's ages, I thought you know the thing that I just kept thinking was. Um, my daughters are born in a situation where they have what they need. Or, or we can provide what they need because of, of our structure here. And they have a chance to hear the gospel. And they have a chance to, to grow in the Lord. And this family didn't just, and these kids have no part in that. They were just born in war.
1: Even something as simple as being able to go to school.
0: They can't go to school. And, and they're not, they're legally not allowed in Lebanon. But also the, the money is a factor. <laughs>
1: And, and it seems like Jonah has the idea that I'm entitled to the goodness and the favor and the blessing of God. And these Ninevites, surely they're not entitled to it instead. And God designs really what's a living parable for Jonah and for us involving this line. And it just takes him a very short amount of time to drive the point home. Yeah, but he blesses Jonah in a way that makes him comfortable and then the blessing is removed, leaving Jonah uncomfortable, though I will point out probably no worse than he was off, you know, worse off than he was before. De- um,
0: definitely better than in the fish.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so how is, how is God using that experience of gaining and losing comfort to expose Jonah's heart?
0: Well that, it, it really, it stinks when that happens. I mean for us it's, it's, you know, it's bad and because Um, we like the comfort and we feel comfortable in that. Um, but he uses loss to teach us and it's not fun in that process. You know, um, one, one thing we saw in Lebanon, there were a hundred, about a hundred Syrian refugees from Sunni Muslim backgrounds. And they were, they were worshiping God on a Sunday morning and kind of a Kind of a auto garage type thing that had been converted to a place to, to meet. And, um, and they said that the war and, and ISIS had done more to damage Islam in five years than, you know, just status quo had done for, for decades. And so did God cause terror, this, this terror, this war? No, but he allowed this peace. He's using this loss. To point things out to people. Wow. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think about loss in our own life and, um, uh, you know, maybe I'll mention that in a a minute or two, but, but he uses these things to rip away these illusions of comfort to get us to see his heart. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and in the uncomfortable mirror, you know, God's exposing here's Jonah's fundamental self centeredness combined with his hostility towards the Ninevites and these others that aren't part of his own perceived group. Um, what do you think God's desired outcome was and what He was trying to do in Jonah's life there? How did He want that experience of loss to turn? You know, I mean, because Jonah himself he's had his own trouble and deliverance and then blessing and loss you know he's had both sorts himself how do you think god wanted to use that in jonah's life to affect his attitude towards the people of nineveh
0: well you know i wonder if the fish and the vine would even have been parts of the story if if jonah had seen the blessing that god wanted to give him sooner and and i think that god is is showing jonah there's a bigger story there's something Bigger he wants for Jonah, but also bigger he wants for for the world. Um, you know, we sang those... These songs were prophetic this morning. Um, the I don't remember exactly the song, uh, the line from the one about the city, but, you know, it was like, let heaven fall, let heaven fall. Um, something about the city being a light for the nations. But even the the other song, um, come to the altar, you know, Father, your arms are open wide. Yeah, These are songs of a bigger story.
1: That's well said.
0: And and if heaven does fall, this church is going to look a little different than it does. And 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 probably our comfort will look a little different than it does. And and I think um we protect, but in protecting we're missing out on on this bigger story. Um, we were at a life link conference a few months ago and uh it's the first one i i had been to but uh you probably know the name alan scotland much more than i do
1: this is a conference of the family of churches that mercy hill is part of
0: and and he said that the goal of the western story which is not god's story but the goal of our western story is prosperity to enjoy the goods and services of this world forever that's what he said but he he started talking about how easy it is for us to get caught into the idolatry of isms. So consumerism, capitalism, all of politics really, conservatism or progressivism, um, but then in an individual, patriotism, all these things, narcissism, all these isms, most of them are not necessarily bad, narcissism is bad, but, but it's not bad to be, to have some nationalism or some patriotism or to be a conservative or to be a progressive or any of these things, but they easily become idols inside of us. And then they keep us, the picture I see is we keep us in little circles with spears pointed outwards, like we're protecting something inside that circle rather than almost like a, I don't know what the other picture would be, but in my mind it's like, Pac-Man, but like a loving Pac-Man going around, like bringing more people into the circle, and and I I just see that as the bigger like we're if we're protecting something small with our spears pointed outward, we're we're really missing out, and and so I you know I I see that that's what God is trying to do with with Jonah here.
1: Mm, That's really good, but um, Jonah himself had a hard time with that, and you and I do as well. Um, are there some ways that the cost or the perceived cost of entering into God's compassion just makes it difficult for you to do yourself? I kind of want to double up a question for you here, so I admit it's a two questions and tackle them how it fits for you. But the first is like, how how does the cost of compassion make it difficult for you to to keep doing and to keep joining with God in His heart for people, and at the same time? Why do you keep seeing it as worth it, Tony, to share God's concern for others and embrace his compassion because you could live a lifestyle that was much more well, you know, much less focused on others, let's say
0: yeah well it it is costly, and I think there's a sacrifice involved, and if you've lost something, you know the cost- you already know the cost, you know the cost if you've lost something, there's sacrifice, there's things that we don't like. Jenny and I were in our second marriage. We, we have co-parenting issues we have to deal with. And, and with, with loss comes things you don't, you don't love. Like, my daughter wants to be baptized, but her mom doesn't think it's time yet. And so I, so there's all these struggles about, uh, when, when loss comes, there's brokenness. We live in a broken world. And so it's not always gonna be easy. And the people we're trying to serve are also I mean, we're sinful, and the people we're trying to serve are sinful, and and love our. Sin- so, I had to change my phone about a year and a half ago. I, I changed my phone number because there was a a refugee family. They're going through a lot of stuff, and I had one phone at the time, and and I gave them my number, and it was just constant, 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 constant. And so we got a second phone, and one's for work now, and everything. But um, but now God, this this family still having a lot of heart issues. And now God's been nudging me. We really need to. I mean, my family and I personally need to get more involved in their life. And and um, and so he's been saying, well, "Why don't you have them over for dinner?" I'm like, I changed my phone number so that I would I would be a little bit not accessible to them, you know. And now he wants us to have them over for dinner where they'll know where I live, you know. <laughs> so there's a cost. There is definitely a cost to to all of this. Um, but, but if he, but I have to trust that if he's calling us, me to do that, there's gonna be a bigger, I, mean, I don't know if the blessing will, I don't know if I'll see or perceive the blessing, but I know that that's his plan and, and I have to trust mm-hmm. that there's a, a grace around the corner that is bigger than the protection that I'm trying to.
1: Yeah. When we were keep. talking this week, you just, you, you talked about it being such a privilege to participate in something God's doing. I mean, I'd love if you could unpack that a little bit, just that privilege of participating with God that you were talking about.
0: Well, yeah, you know, you see it, um, you see it when you actually don't run to get on a boat and get swallowed, but you see it when you're actually doing the things that God is calling you to do. So, uh, several years ago, I lived in Kosovo and uh, there was a, a, a Christian guy, a guy who, who had been Muslim, he'd become Christian, I was mentoring him, and he said, come talk to my roommate, because he just, he's so close to coming to Christ, but he just asked some questions about the Trinity. And at that point, I'd been in Kosovo for two years, I'd had too many conversations about the Trinity, because if you're living and working in a, in a, in a Muslim culture, and you're trying to talk about Jesus with people in that culture, you know there's two or three things that just become debates and and you just try to steer away from those things because they're not helpful or sometimes we would go to a room because someone would ask us to come talk about God and it would be like a a, a trap because they'd have they'd have brought their imam in and so there were like two of us 10 other people we couldn't get a word in because we were being preached to about Islam but so i didn't want to go this day he he's like just come talk to my friend he's almost a, a believer he just has a few questions about the trinity and i was a little bit like jonah and i think i put it off a few times even and and he kept pushing so i said okay one night i went over and this this guy drilon is his name he's a believer now he's working in kosovo loves god but this this kid just had a few questions about the Trinity, and he just it's just as if my six year old would have would not. My six year old doesn't understand the Trinity, and you know he has questions. But That's when I... it's not
1: much different than the rest of us. No, I don't.
0: Yeah, I don't really understand the Trinity. So I'm trying to explain to my six year old, and I hope he understands. But um, but all we had to do was have a short conversation about that, and then he he was ready to accept Christ, and so um, and that led to a life. A, you know, a friendship that still exists today and, and he's a brother in Christ. I, I look too, it's, it's really ironic, um I'll just really briefly mention this, but when Jonah doesn't go to, to Nineveh, instead he flees to Joppa to get on a boat toward Tarshish. Joppa is the same town where, uh, thousands, about two thousand years later, Peter, one thousand, one-ish thousand years later, Uh, Peter is praying in a home by a a guy named Simon, who lives in Joppa by the sea, and Peter's probably staring out at the same sea that, where Jonah got swallowed by a fish, and God gives Peter a vision while he's staying in Joppa. Go to the house of this guy named Cornelius, who's not, who's a Roman. Again, an enemy of the people of Israel. Because I'm going to do something big. And Peter, fo- Peter also somewhat reluctantly, but Peter follows and does this. And this leads to the gospel being taken just from, it's, it wasn't just for the Jews anymore, it's for the Gentiles as well. And so it's just interesting to compare and see what happens when Jonah doesn't follow and then what happens when Peter does follow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite a comparison. Um, I I kind of feel, Tony, like I'm hearing you say that if we're only perceiving and experiencing God's grace and compassion towards ourselves, then we're really missing out on something that's so much greater. And maybe I like because we're going to be sharing communion together later. We have these really tiny little cups that we use for the juice. Right. And then we don't even quite fill those. And so it reminds me, uh, almost in that imagery, that if we're thinking of God's grace and his love and compassion for us, something for us to drink, it's like we're just taking little sips from a little tiny cup. When in reality, God's heart and his compassion and his concern for the world is this vast ocean of love and compassion. And we could be diving into that ocean instead of sipping from the cup. But it's kind of scary because, boy, if I get caught up in that wave and it crashes me around in the surf, I could get beat up a bit in the process. Um, We we said earlier that the book of Jonah, you know, isn't just about the fish. and And if we think about the message of Jonah in this way as, oh, Jonah, you know, Jonah got swallowed by a big fish and God rescued him then we're missing the bigger point. And so true, because that wasn't the end of the story. That part was just the means to get Jonah to what God really had in mind, which was wanting Jonah to participate with him in sharing God's compassion with the world. I think Jonah obviously himself had the wrong perspective on it. And I think equally, when we think of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, as being primarily about I got swallowed by sin and God rescued me, kind of like Jonah got swallowed by a fish and God rescued him, and that's what it's supposed to all be about, then I'm missing the real point of the bigger story, which is that God's inviting me to be a participant in his compassion for the whole world. And so I think our part of our appeal this morning, and what the point of God's question here is, don't get stuck in too small a story. Don't miss what God is really inviting us into. Because if we do, something's wrong with our worldview. We're looking at it backwards with ourselves in the center instead of seeing that Jesus has come for the world. And, yeah, I think there's implications of this, even for how we view as believers, some of the direction and trends that are happening in our country when it comes to welcoming or not welcoming immigrants from other parts of the world. and I understand that immigration policy is a complicated thing. But setting policy over here, let me just say a couple things about our posture. That as Christians, as believers, our posture needs to be compassion and welcoming. Because even the things that we're trying to protect, they're actually gifts from God. Not something that we're entitled to more than other people that God's made from other parts of the world. And I know it can feel kind of threatening and that there's fear that comes up when we think about it. But God's asking Jonah this question that haunts me in verse 9. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? You know, as a fellow white male here, there are, are trends in the country that have a lot of white males Concerned about losing a perceived privilege and our place, even our significance and what's happening in the country. But you know what? We didn't work for that or earn that. And instead we've got to recognize God's on the move in the world today. And He's bigger than the ups and downs and the trends and the concerns of things that we, that we feel and that we find and even things that worry us. And if we'll line our hearts up with where God says His heart is, we'll end up in the right place with that. So our own attitudes, brothers and sisters, our attitudes have to line up with the gospel, not be shaped by our own fears and our prejudices. And what that's going to mean for us in practice is that we take a welcoming posture to people who are different than ourselves because God's extended grace to us. That's a gospel issue. It's dangerously tempting for us to be like Jonah who thinks, yeah, me and people like me deserve God's mercy, favor, and blessing. And those other people who aren't like me, they don't deserve it. And instead, as a church, as a family, as Christians, what it means to be a Christian is that we welcome people who are different than us and extend the same mercy that God has given to us. Um, Tony, we better bring this in for a landing. Can you help us with some practical ways that we can embrace and participate in God's compassion for the vulnerable here and now?
0: Yeah, when you were uh, just sharing what you were sharing, one thought that I had was, um it might be almost Im- impossible or at least much more difficult for God to give us personal revival if we are, if we have that diff, the other posture of kind of the closed posture. Because yeah. I think that in, so often in my life, it's when I'm open to the bigger story that He shows me how good He is. You're right, and and so when we're open to the bigger story, that's when he's going to bring that revival in. And so the, I would say the first practical thing would let's let's deal with ourselves, whatever is, and and it might not even be about immigrants and refugees. It could be a, in our marriage. It could be what where are we closed, or you know, to to a bigger story happening. Um, and and it could be different for different people. So I told you why I might not want my refugee family over for dinner. Jenny, her, she she doesn't want them over for a different reason, um, because she just feels always pressured when she's hosting, and she feels like oh someone's gonna come in and judge if the house looks good and if it doesn't look good, and she's working all the time too. So so her her, um, I guess uh, sometimes in a marriage you might you might even have two different reasons going on why why there might be mm-hmm. hard hard things uh, in terms of you ministering together. Um, but whatever it is, you know, if it's something, um, if it's something personal, if it's, if it's more of a philosophy or an ism that you have to work with, think about these things and think, think through, talk to God, pray with God about what might be holding you back from having that loving Pac-Man kind of thing rather than the, the tribal thing. Um. Another thing, in the fall we're going to be having uh something called good neighbor trainings, and so we'll probably do like two or three of these over a, a few hours and really um, just a chance to talk through some more of these issues, but also get more comfortable with the idea of how do we reach out to our neighbors, how do we reach out to our neighbors who might not look like us, um, you know including immigrants and refugees so we'll we'll um we'll announce when that's going to happen, but that that would be an opportunity um did want to mention, you know, all the the ways that we can uh, contribute financially. Obviously, there's this uh, trip coming up in November. Um, Mercy Hill's mission budget, um, the Welcome Network exists entirely off of you know donations and everything. So, um, so there's there's all of that as well. Even even thinking for us, you know, Jenny and I are like, wow. After what I experienced in Lebanon, what would it Change the kids' lives to do a trip like that. It might not be on a mission trip, but to take them to Lebanon to 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 meet with some of the partners that I've met with there. Uh, we just the Welcome Network just started partnering with an organization based in Valparaiso called, called Kids Alive, great organization, and um, just taking the kids. We're like, man, that would cost a lot of money to do that, but maybe it would change their mentality and give them a more open. You know, it, 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 I would I would think it would change the kids' mentality quite a bit. Um, so it that might be something would. as you as you get older I mean, or something. But
1: is there a smaller scale way to plug in now with the partnership with Kids Alive, where families, you know, wanted with their kids to help sponsor other kids in Lebanon through there that? There are. There's
0: there's a way you can sponsor a child. Um, if you're
1: interested, talk to Tony and
0: and all of that. So you can kind of live vicariously for much cheaper than a a, that's actually a great idea i never thought about i hadn't thought about that for my family you know but uh but that would be a good thing as well um and then in june of next year we will be taking a trip uh probably to do a kids camp and it's going to be a a lifelink kind of partnership so uh consider coming with us um next year to uh to work with kids alive there in lebanon